0: new series entitled Death to Selfie. How many of you are interested in solving every single problem in your life? Yeah? Because I have a secret that will set you free to live your best life ever. This secret will solve issues at work. It will solve issues with your boss and your coworkers. This secret will give you contentment in life and remove envy and jealousy. Issues at home with your wife, the in-laws, even step-parents and annoying siblings. This secret will solve all conflicts with your ex and it will keep you from having an ex. It will... Make dealing with teachers at school a breeze, and never again will you have to worry about being cool or the need to feel accepted. You will no longer be controlled by likes, comments, shares, followers, retweets, and friend requests on social media. This secret will end strife, disagreements, disputes. Arguments, discord, hostility, conflicts, friction, enmity, strife, dissension, disharmony, quarreling, and feuding. This secret has the power to bring world peace. And that's not an exaggeration. Are you interested? Are you on the edge of your seat? Do you want to know what this too-good-to-be-true secret is? Yes, okay. okay. But first, let me take a selfie. <laughs> well you got to get? Yeah. That's right. Got to get a right angle. Stop it. Stop it. Here we go. Now I'll throw it on social media real quick. Here we go. Caris off the hook. There we go. Man. Okay, got that out of the way. Yeah, there, there's my selfie. G.K. Chesterton. You guys are. are you, is anybody familiar with G, G.K. Chesterton? Chesterton, You might not be familiar with him, but you're probably familiar with a lot of his quotes. Um, Gilbert Keith Chesterton was an English writer, um, philosopher, and lay theologian, and liter- literary and art critic, which lived almost 100 years ago. Here are some of his quotes. Tolerance is the virtue of people who do not believe in anything. God is like the sun. You cannot look at it, but without it, You cannot look at anything else. It is absurd for the evolutionists to complain that it is unthinkable for an admittedly unthinkable God to make everything out of nothing. And then pretend that it is more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into everything. For when we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing. We worship anything. If there was no God, there would be no atheists. Do not be so open-minded that your brain falls out. The church is like a thick steak, a glass of red wine and a good cigar. Once once abolish God and the government becomes the God. Marriage is an adventure, a lot like war. And the Bible tells us to love our neighbors, but it also tells us to love our enemies, probably because they're one and the same. (laughs) Once there was a newspaper article and uh, an editorial article Story, and they wanted the readers of the newspaper to write in and share with them what they believed is the biggest problem in the world. What is the biggest problem in the world? And G.K. Chesterton responded. He wrote in and gave this profound two-word answer. GK's answer to what is the biggest problem in the world was this. I am. I am the biggest problem in the world. See, we live in a world that is addicted to self. And the photos on most people's phones prove it because they have more selfies than any other photo. But if you're thinking, well, I'm off the hook. I don't take any selfies, not so fast. You know the reason why most people don't like to have their picture taken is because they don't like the way that they look in the pictures. And do you realize you not wanting to have your picture taken is completely rooted in selfish thinking itself? Like G.K. Chesterton, we need to understand that the root of all grief in our life and all the problems in this world, big or small, is the simple two word answer I am. I am. Self centered people are so easy to spot, they're the ones that are always offended. Turn to your neighbor and see. I think he's talking to you. Amanda, be quiet. (laughs) And they get offended over the stupidest things. As a pastor, I've heard some stupid things to be offended about. They turn molehills into mountains. And when they get get themselves so entangled with self they start our journey down the road of depression or discouragement or the far too well-known road of bitterness. Why? Because they're consumed with self. If you were to take a step back and object, objectively look at your conflict, your calamity, your catastrophic event, your crisis, you would save yourself a lot of ministry ministry. It saved me a lot of ministry, and it, would, it saved you a lot of misery. right? So we have a leadership meetings here um, with those that lead ministries within Charis. Um, We have leadership meetings, and um, each time we do a little little study during the meeting called QBQ. And QBQ is the question behind the question. And this whole idea of the question behind the question is built on the observation that our first reactions to negative events in our life are usually negative. Our first reaction is usually negative. So your first response in a situation, you should disregard. So we are, so these negative negative responses bring to mind incorrect questions but if we you if but if in each moment of decision we can instead discipline ourselves to look behind those initial incorrect questions and ask better questions the question behind the question the questions themselves will lead us to better results most negative and incorrect questions are rooted in blame where a positive and correct question takes personal responsibility. There's the concept in this world, huh? Negative questions are who questions. Who's responsible for this? Who did this? Right? It's a blame question. A negative question are questions like why? Why questions? Why did this happen to me? Why do things never work? Why questions are complaining or victim thinking? When questions. When is someone going to do something about this? When are things going to get better? And these are procrastination questions. The correct questions begin with what or how, not why, when, or who. What can I do? How do we solve this? They contain an I, not they, we, or you. And they focus on action. A simple correct question that can be used in almost any difficult situation is, what can I do? That's a good question. It's a simple question, but it's a powerful question. Self-centered people always blame other things for their issues. It's always someone else's fault that they're unhappy, or things are not working out in their lives. If we would deal with self each time we got offended, many of our predicaments would cease to be a crisis. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, it says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The reason we are offended, hurt, depressed, discouraged it's because we don't understand the gospel. If we did, we would never get offended. Because dead people never feel anything. You can do all kinds of mean things to a corpse. And you know what? It never will give you a response. You can. Kick a corpse. You can say rude insults to a a corpse. You can slap it. You can spit on them. You can do anything to a corpse and you will never ever get a response. And the reason we respond is because we don't understand that we have died. We have died to self. This isn't, see, this isn't something that we have to do, this is something that we have to awaken to. You have died. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Believe it. It's faith. It's not a work. Dying to self is not a work. It's believing it by faith. As a Christian, we're supposed to reckon ourselves dead to self. And alive to Christ. In Romans chapter 6 verse 8 it says, Now if we have died in Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 11 it says, It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. We have died to self. And are alive unto Christ. The life that I now live, I live in Christ Jesus. The reason why you are hurt so so easy when someone says or does something to you. The issue that causes you to have so many problems in your relationships. The reason why you are so unhappy in life. Listen, this is the answer. It's plain and simple. It's pride. Pride is still alive and sitting on the throne of your life you are self-centered and not Christ-centered. We haven't fun yet? This is the answer though, folks. This is the cure for our disease called self. In Proverbs chapter 16:18 it says pride precedes destruction and an arrogant spirit gives way to a nasty fall. All the wretchedness of this which this world has been the scene of wars, murder, conflicts between nations, all selfishness and suffering, all envy and jealousy, all the broken and embittered lives that have their origin in the curse of pride. Pride, self-centeredness, is what made redemption necessary. Do you understand that? The reason why Jesus had to come is because of our Pride, our self-reliance. It is from our pride that we need above everything else to be redeemed from. To the extent that we understand our own need of redemption is the extent that we understand the terrible nature of the power of pride that has taken up rulership in our souls. Do you understand that? A person that understands their need for Jesus the more that you understand how destructive pride is in your life, the more that you understand your need for, for God's grace and his redeeming in your life. Pride is the poison of hell. It was the very venom, 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 venom of the old serpent who delivered to Adam and Eve he delivered it to his, their ears when he sunk his teeth into them, speaking his temptation. And when they listen, yielding their desires and will to the prospect of being like God, knowing good and evil, living independent, self-centered lives, the poison entered their souls, destroying forever, the blessed hum- humility and dependence on God that was to be our everlasting inheritance and joy. Understand self centeredness, pride, the loss of humility is the root of every sin and evil. If you struggle with sin in your life, it's because you are filled with pride. You are self centered. If you have addiction in your life, yes. There are chemical things that eventually start happening into your body where your body demands it, but initially, it's all started with pride. You know, have you ever tried to make a three-year-old eat their broccoli? Why? 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 Why can't you make them eat their broccoli? Because they don't like it, right? They don't like it. I don't like it. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to eat it. That's what you got to do with sin. <laughs> you don't do things you don't like. And you can say that you don't like it. But if you like don't like it, why do you do it? Because you're not awakened to that you have died. And your life now is in Christ Jesus. You are filled with self-centeredness and pride. I want to do this. I like the way it makes me feel. We don't think about the the destruction it does to our families, to our husband, or to our wife, to our kids. We don't think about how it's going to destroy our lives. we, We We are so self-centered, we don't think about anybody else except self. Understand self-centeredness, pride, the loss of humility is the root of every sin and evil. It was pride that caused the now fallen angels to look upon themselves rather than their creator that led disobedience and cast them from light of heaven. Into outer darkness. So in heaven and on earth, pride, self centeredness, and self exaltation is the very gateway to hell itself. See, I didn't oversell this. We live in a culture. We live in a culture that looks at those that have more than th- themselves and cry injustice. This is rooted in the disease of pride and self-centeredness. Have you ever been frustrated with your car, your home, or maybe the model of iPhone that's in your pocket? Have you ever been frustrated by what you have, desiring to have more? Most of what you think of as being a hard time is only a hard time to you. If you were to look at where other where where other peoples are where 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 other peoples are, you'd have a completely different perspective on yourself. See, you think that you have a crisis, and other people are looking at you, thinking, "What's the big problem? What's the big deal?" You magnify your perceived lack into a mountain. And your mountain is what keeps you from being grateful and thankful. It keeps you from enjoying your life in what you, ha- what you do have. It's, there's a place in God called contentment. And that doesn't mean that you don't strive for more, but you don't enter into envy and jealousy. And you're content with where you're at. You don't find your happiness. You don't find your identity in the things that you have, but in him who has you. Do you understand that? Our perspectives would change if we would reach beyond ourselves in our perceived crisis to help someone else in a more difficult place. Your problems would vanish away if you assessed Someone else that was truly devastated financially, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. If you want to be thankful and grateful, get around people that are worse off than yourself. Help them. Get involved in their life. Mentor them. And you realize how blessed we truly are. I don't understand how we can live in one of the most blessed, prosperous Nations on the earth, where those that are considered considered to be in poverty live at standards equal or higher to the middle class of other countries, where other countries live on a dollar a dollar a day, now am I saying that 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 this is a place that we should be satisfied with? No. In God, there's always increase. That's his way. But could it be that the very thing that's keeping us from increasing in life is our pride and self-centeredness? Asking the wrong questions. Not trusting and believing God. Not being grateful and thankful for what we have. See, if we would take the time to get our eyes off of self, we would realize that we don't have it as bad off as we think. Grief. Grief is rooted in self-centeredness. See, when we lose a loved one and are tormented by grief, this grief is self-centered. See, there is is a time of mourning. You know, the Bible says, weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. You know, we mourn with those that mourn. Right? There is a time of mourning. And mourning is all right and healthy. But when you move into a place of grief where this loss is now affecting The way that you live, your your joy and your happiness in life, the way that you see your future, you have now moved to a place that is destructive. And what we need to understand, what we need to understand that is in loss, we're actually in grief. We are actually being self-centered. If our loved ones are saved and now in heaven, there's nothing to grieve about and much to celebrate. Right? But we grieve our loss. We think, how are we going to live without them? Right? You start thinking about your life and your future, and you're thinking about them not being there. You're not thinking about them, you're thinking about self. We conceive ourselves that. Our, we convince ourselves that, our mourning for our lo- that we're mourning for our loved ones. In rea- reality, it's, we're mourning for ourselves. Our pain and loss seem more real than the truth of our loved ones' joy and peace they're experiencing in heaven. If your life is be- being be- controlled by grief, you need to ask yourself why am I really grieving? Why is my, my, why is my sorrow for them, or is it for me? The honest answer will reveal the selfishness in your heart. Can you imagine an atmosphere of a believer's funeral if no one was self-centered, Can you imagine what funerals would be like if no one was self-centered, wasn't thinking about self and how what happened affects them? Instead of hardship, pain, and crisis, there would be thanksgiving, praise, worship, and rejoicing. The poison of self will always bring adversity and pain to your life. If if, If you're experiencing adversity, if you're experiencing pain in your life, it's because you're thinking about self. This adversity, this pain in your life when thinking about self will happen at a funeral or will happen in the middle of everyday life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, it says, So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the the earth, earthly, the second man is from heaven. Verse 48, "As as is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as is the heavenly, so are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we also bear the image of the heavenly. we need to understand is that no tree can grow except from the root from which it sprang. No tree can grow except from the root which it sprang. All the days of a tree can only live by the life that was in the seed that gave it life. Do you understand that? The revelation of humanity's condition in the first a- Adam, filled with pride, self-centeredness, and self-reliance, apart from God, his creator, cannot but help us understand the need for the new birth. Do you understand what I just said there? When you understand your condition, born in the first Adam, the life that was put in you from our very first mother and father, when you understand that condition, then you understand why you need to be born again. The revelation of, this, of humanity's condition, the first Adam filled with pride, self-centeredness, self-reliance from God. His creator cannot but help us understand the need of the new birth, new creation, and the redemption that is in the second Adam, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, For you were born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. We were born again. We had died to self. We have been southered from that root of the first Adam, and we have come alive in Christ Jesus of an incorruptible seed. Our life now flows from Emmanuel's veins. We need to put on our new nature, the new creation, through the renewing of our minds, one that has Jesus on the throne of our heart and has completely put off the old man and is walking in this newness of the Spirit. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped but he emptied himself he emptied self taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men in verse 8 it says being found in the appearance of a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross for this reason also god highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every Nay, Troy. Can we can be coming up? I told you this is it. If you're struggling in your life, if you have hardships, if you if you have calamity, if you're constantly in crisis, if you're unhappy, it all comes down to this one little word, self. I mean, can you imagine how important, I mean, after just going through this first Sunday, this first teaching, I mean, can you understand how important it is to get pride and self-centeredness removed from your life? I mean, it's truly the source of all heartache, pain, torment, and suffering. What we need to understand is that this transformation, though, has already happened. It's already happened in your spirit, and we need to appropriate it by faith. We need to see ourselves as new creations, complete and whole in Christ Jesus. You know, as a pastor, sometimes you've got to say the hard things to people so that they can get the revelation and move on. And be set free. We need to have the attitude of Christ. We need to walk humbly with our God. Think about this. What we just read in Philippians. What is the incarnation of Christ? But humility. Jesus emptied himself and became a man. He became his creation. I shared a couple weeks ago. I mean, that just... God brought that to my remembrance and it just hit me. We had a... It was springtime. We had a bird up on our deck, and it kept on running into the window, running into the window. And it was making a mess on the deck and everything. I'm saying this again because I hope you, it just hits you like it hit me. And I was getting ticked off. It's making a mess on my deck. It's making a mess on the window. It's stupid. It's <laughs> stupid. It could be off doing other things, bird (laughs) things, flying, soaring, and it's doing this. Why are you doing this? You weren't created to do this. And I took care of that problem. But it never once crossed my mind that, man, God, I wish I could become a bird. I wish I could give up being a human and become a bird so I could teach that bird that what it's doing is wrong. Rescue it. Redeem it from this life that is Ridiculous. It's not even reality. It's seeing itself in the window and thinking it's another bird. I mean, it's just, it's living a lie. It never crossed my mind to humble myself and become a bird. Instead, I just wiped it out. Understand something. Christ humbled himself. He emptied himself and became us. That's the God we have. The first thought in his mind when we were bumping up against the window, when we were making a mess out of our life, when we weren't living to our full potential, when we were not was chasing a lie, the first thought in his mind was how do I... Redeem them. How do I teach them? How do I show them the life that they were designed and built and created to live? I will become one of them. I don't, I don't know if that gets you, but I, I don't know a God like that. Would we be people like that? I mean, jeez. What was Jesus' life? But a life of humility. Humbling himself and taking the form of a servant. You know, in Revelations it says that Jesus is adorned with a golden girdle. You know what a girdle is? Look that up. In the Greek. It's an apron. It means apron. It's a garment of a servant. Jesus forever is the servant of humanity. We have a king that serves. What is Christ's atonement? But humility. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. I have problems humbling myself and becoming obedient not to argue back. Have my way. Make sure they know that I'm right. What is Jesus' glory? But humility exalted. He was exalted to the throne of heaven and to the crown of glory. Jesus humbled or emptied himself of self before God, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. This is the way we were created to live. We were created to live not focusing on self, but seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, trusting that our good, good father will take care Of everything else. Now if you do decide to come back next Sunday. We're going to continue in this. And understand the reason why I chose to preach this message. Not only do I need it. But I truly believe it will set you free. It will change your life. It will heal your marriages. It will make work more enjoyable. It will give you hope and happiness and joy. It will, give you, it will take the weight off your shoulders. This is the answer to the best life you could possibly ever live, is death to selfie. Amen? Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.carisntc.org And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.